Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be covering a very wide range of topics. I'm going to be talking about James Book Knight, Russell Westbrook, and I'm going to be hammering out some of my big board 30 through 25 and I'll discuss it a little bit more once I get to that segment, but it's kind of a combination of my personal bias where I think they're, you know, where they actually project, and then maybe their ceiling will bump them up in some cases, but I'll get to that in a little bit. First off, though, NBA season is finally over, and the action is starting really in a week, and for the Thunder, this is when the season starts. Like, this was their offseason. The draft is when everything begins for them. I honestly don't expect much to come out of free agency. I think that we're going to see some acquisitions. We're going to see a lot of maybe shocking moves, not just throughout the Thunder organization, but throughout the league. So it'll be interesting to see how Thursday night actually pans out, but the finals was amazing. I mean, I wanted Chris Paul to get his ring. I think everybody, at least from the Thunder side of things, did because he was an amazing part of the team last year, even credited Sam Presti. Uh, I think it was last round after they ended up defeating the LA Clippers, but Giannis got the job done. I don't think you can discredit them. I don't think you can say he's not skilled. The man was going off, and to be so clutch at the free throw line when it mattered is big. I mean, they almost pulled an Andre Roberson where they're just trying to hack him and hack him. That's worked in the past, and I know it's not intentional. He's just so lengthy. He's either going to get a bucket or a foul, maybe even both when he wants to. But yeah, I mean, for him to go... Uh, missed like maybe one, two free throws out of damn near 20. I don't have it pulled up right now, but it was it was close to 20 free throws, I think. was ridiculous. And to reach that 50-point mark, they deserve that championship. And Justin Jackson, who would have known that he would be an NBA champion by the end of this season? Went from rags to riches. Went from being a potential training camp cut in my eyes based on how he played to getting on the bucks on that two-way contract, and now he's able to post that he has an NBA championship ring. So good job to him. But we got to move on into the future, and we got to look at what the Thunder are going to do. And that starts with pick number six. And we know the top four is pretty much set in stone. Now, there is some new reports thinking maybe the Raptors would rather have Scotty Barnes as opposed to Jalen Suggs, but Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, and Evan Mobley are top three. I think we can get that out of the way, and there's no point in arguing. Maybe two and three can be flipped, but that's the top three you're going to find. And at four, I think Jalen Suggs has become that presumptive pick there, and five and six has just been a toss-up between Kuminga and Scotty Barnes. And Kuminga had it easily post-lottery uh, announcement, but now... Barnes has tapped almost ahead of him. I think people see him more as that number five pick now, maybe even four, where Kaminga, I mean, he has slid down as far as seven in some cases, and I've even seen reports where they say he could go eighth, which I don't know about that. I think maybe seven, but it's going to give Oklahoma City uh, an interesting debate here because if it lays out how it's projected right now, you have Cunningham, Green, Mobley, Suggs, and Barnes. The Thunder will have Jonathan Kuminga or 
now James Booknight at that selection. And James Booknight was not even seen as a draftable player at six. It just has kind of come out of nowhere. There's been reports. I know Three Cone on Twitter. He also has a YouTube channel. He's a very good follow um, for Thunder content. He mentioned that, I guess, someone messaged him that he saw Presty, Dagnalt, and Booknight at one of the upscale restaurants in OKC. I don't remember what it was called because I don't live over there. But, um, yeah, they were over at some upscale place. And I guess that gives some sort of link to them. And, obviously, he's not going to be available at 16 or 18. You need to package up to, like, 10. But even now, I think James Booknight has kind of solidified himself into at least the top eight. I don't think the Orlando Magic would pass up on him, especially if they were to go the Scotty Barnes route with pick number five. You need to get kind of that primary scorer as opposed to these ball handlers who love to shot create because they already have Cole Anthony. They have Markel Fultz who, I mean, he doesn't shoot threes, but he's a definite point guard. You're not putting him off the ball really. And even RJ Hampton as well. So they need a guy. I think Book Knight fits. So you need to take Book Knight at six. And obviously he's going to be there. You don't, you don't expect anyone else to take him. So I didn't even think this was a discussion, but yeah, there's so much traction picking up and it's coming from Kevin O'Connor from the ringer. And he's a pretty reliable source. He's one of the bigger guys out there in draft media. And he said that league sources say the magic are high on Florida state forward, Scotty Barnes with the fifth pick while the Thunder prefer Barnes or UConn guard James Booknight with the sixth selection. So I think Barnes will be there. If not, there's Suggs at five, which I don't really know how he fits with the Magic. Maybe you could see some crazy turn of events where we get Suggs at six. I don't know how I feel about the fit, but he'd be best available, I I suppose, there. So, yeah, if they take Barnes, we got Kaminga or we got Booknight. I would have said Kuminga every single time, and that was the talk. That was incon- or it was conclusive uh, a week ago. You wouldn't even have Booknight there. But now everybody is kind of falling in love with James Booknight, and there's a genuine question as to if Booknight should be selected. And a lot of people, as of recent, are actually showing a preference towards James Booknight over Jonathan Kuminga. And Booknight, he's a 20-year-old, so he's not... He's not an old prospect at all. 20 years old, that's modest for a rookie. That's pretty young. And he averaged 18.7 points, 5.7 rebounds, 1.8 assists, and 1.1 steals in 15 games with the Huskies last season. And he was kind of doing a little bit of everything. I mean, the numbers on paper, when you look at his statistics, it's not beautiful. From three, I believe he was actually shooting sub-30 from there. I am, of course, going to check it while I'm talking, but one of the big things with him was, you know, the shot, because he is considered to be one of the top shot creators, but after you look at Jalen Green, who's clearly the best on the ball scorer in this draft class by a mile, Book Knight's kind of given that second place spot, and when you look at his stats, yeah, this season, he shot 29.3% from downtown, Simply put, that's not going to cut it. If you're shooting 29% from three in the NBA, you're not a shooter in the NBA. And when that is your patent, you need to be shooting 35% at least. And he was shooting around there his freshman season, so maybe even get he can get back up there. And that's kind of the belief because people look at Book Night and they see that three-level scorer. And I'll tell you this, he is kind of secretly athletic. He can bounce up 
and he likes getting contact. He is sort of acrobatic as well. Some of the reverse layups he was putting on were special. So I think inside, he's very good at avoiding contact, but also trying to absorb contact when he wants to go up. But the big deal is clearly the perimeter shooter, the perimeter shooting. And the three ball for him is that kind of weighing point because if he can hammer himself out from three he's going to be a three level scorer and you're going to be able to have him kind of as that like cj mccollum type and i don't know if i'd say he's going to be cj mccollum maybe like that borderline all-star post like 20 21 points a game that's where i would see james book night which that's a pretty solid evaluation in my opinion i guess you might be able to pair him with sga so it makes sense and when you look at the vision One of the priorities I've had from the get-go is you need to get SGA his pairing of the future in this draft class. And I always thought Jalen Green was that guy. I don't think there's going to be a trade-up option available, which is just heartbreaking. But I guess when you look at it, he probably is the best shooting guard available. And Jonathan Kaminga really doesn't fit that tandem, I'd say, with SGA because SGA needs kind of a complimentary piece who's not going to need the basketball all the time but is able to go out there isolate on his own or pull up from anywhere just generate his own offense because SGA he's able to isolate he's able to be really dominant in the pick and roll he's one of the best in the NBA but he's going to need kind of some backup and I will say I think in the isolation he's gotten so much better with the step back but you kind of want one of those speedier guards to compliment him I don't think Book Knight is like that, but he does have a decent uh, kind of array of handling, so he can free himself open. I don't necessarily know if I'd rate him above Kuminga, though. I think that Book Knight is good, and yeah, I mean, that's great. Like, he can pull up, dribble handoff, he can make some shots. He's very inconsistent, though, from three, which is a bit scary. Uh, Luckily, though, on the defensive side, he he actually can play the one or the two because he is 6'5". And even though he wasn't a great passer in college, that's never going to be his role. So I don't really think it matters. And same with the turnover issues. But when I look at Kuminga, it's clearly, he's clearly the highest potential guy available. And I could still see him going like number five, you know? And I think that in the case of maybe even the Warriors, if you're really dying to get a book night, This is just tossing out random stuff. You can make some package. I don't think the Warriors want to have that pick anyways. And I know the Thunder, they may not have the guys right now, but if you'd want to trade Lou Dort and you're sold on book night, I think you could probably sway a deal. Might need to include some picks, but it could happen, I believe, at that selection. So anything's possible. I think a haul of both of them would work. Personally, me though, I'm still kind of stuck on this Jonathan Kaminga bandwagon because... I'll tell you what, I watched all of those G League games, and even though I think Jalen Green was the best player uh, overall for that team, I think Jonathan Kaminga was the most dominant, at least um, in how how he was playing, because Jalen Green, he was kind of up and down here and there. Jonathan, Jonathan Kaminga bring the business every single game he stepped foot on the court, and he was not a very good three-point shooter. He shot like 
24% from three or something crazy like that. He was not a good three-point shooter by any stretch of the imagination, but what he was was an excellent finisher driving to the basket, and one of the things that has kind of got me tripped up, and it kind of tripped me up as well with Scotty Barnes, is I look at them, and I look at a guy like Stanley Johnson, because out of Arizona, he seemed like this two-way demon who could slash, he could shoot a little bit, and he's barely hanging around in the NBA right now, and I look at him more like a Barnes, but Kaminga still is there. Like, you're dominant at attacking the basket in the G League. How does that translate to the NBA? Because no disrespect to the G League, but it's really a lot easier to attack the paint there. And the centers are not true centers. Like Moses Brown was playing against six foot eight centers most of the time. And Moses Brown, even though he did translate over to the NBA, I mean, it was just too easy. Same goes with Yurt Seven. So the paint was always open in the G League, and it was clearly open for Kaminga. It changes at the next level, but I will say that Kaminga is very good at attacking angles, and I don't think there's anyone else in this class that does it better than him, at least from the small forward position. The way he drives it on layups, the way he uses his post game to back you down and then get you with your pants down and find an angle right under the rim is ridiculous. And he also does this with spin layups, for example. His array of skills is ridiculous. And I only think he, he's 18, I believe, right now. So he is extremely young. And the way he's able to attack is special. He already looks jacked. He's supposedly 210 pounds. And I don't, I don't see that. He looks like he's 240. He's so toned up there and he's very strong when attacking the basket so I think by the time he's 21 22 years old this guy's gonna be a major problem when it comes to attacking and I'm confident in his shot growing and this is a thing where I think people are kind of caught up and it's the same deal with Scotty Barnes if they can't shoot a three it's gonna be very dangerous for them and it's really gonna handicap what their actual ceiling is with Kuminga I'm more confident probably than I am with Barnes solely because Kuminga was shooting more threes than anyone on that Ignite team. He was shooting damn near five a game, and regardless of where he was going from the floor, he kept popping, popping, popping. He's going to be like Darius Baisley was last year, where no one's going to like him. Uh, I'm Obviously, no one. Like, not no one. Like, people still enjoy him, watching him. But when he was having those major slumps, specifically like in January, February, before he came back from injury... There was not a lot of hype surrounding him, and every single game seemed like people just kind of threw the blame on Darius Baisley because he was wide open on threes, he would hesitate, and when he did shoot it, he would miss pretty bad. I think Jonathan Kaminga would be like that, except he would still be confident. He was so confident playing for the Ignite, and I'd expect that to carry over. And I don't think the Thunder are in a position where they're going to tell Jonathan Kaminga not to shoot threes. I think they're going to encourage him or anyone they draft to be doing as much as possible on the basketball court because they want to stretch the potential. And I think Kaminga, with a jumper, has a higher ceiling than anyone else available at that point, and maybe even a higher potential than some of the guys who already got drafted, like a Suggs or, hell, even a Scotty Barnes. I think Kaminga on a ceiling perspective, might be in that top four right now just because of what he does. And then also, on the defensive end of things, he's very uh, mobile, I'd say. He's able to get skinny as well when it comes to screen defense. So he can go up, he can go under. And 
one of the best things I love is when you have one of the bigs rolling to the basket, he's able to switch down there and he's able to just lurk the ball. He'll dive for those 50-50s and he comes up with those so much just because of his hops. And the hops are big. It helps him get rebounds. It helps him reject shots. He's a great rim protector, but it also allows him to posterize people when it comes down to it. And he did it on Pogosevsky. On the fast breaks, you got to just get your cameras out because it's going to be special. And he has a lot of speed when he soars down the court. Also, as a passer, I think he's very solid at hitting the open man when he's driving in. Now, when it comes to looking at the corners in the half-court scenario, he doesn't look at that all that much. But if you want to set a screen for him, this center is going to be his biggest fan because he'll catch you on the pop he'll catch you on the roll he had Isaiah Todd doing that a lot of the time with the ignite and there was sign there was kind of some you know back and forth between those two so I do I do prefer Kaminga personally Barnes is in the talk though so I did want to discuss that because things have been changing and we're just a week away from the big day next off I want to talk about Russell Westbrook and this is kind of just one of those rumors, you know, kind of just one of those ones that you would find on the homepage of Bleacher Report. Like, is there much credibility to it? Probably not, but it's still worth talking about because the source is a lot better than just a random Bleacher Report blogger, and it's Mark Spears. And Mark Spears, he went out and he started discussing potential trade rumors for the Lakers, and this always comes out specifically with them. Seems like they're always in the market to just fleece teams, get a superstar for a bag of potato chips. It looks like that's a talk with Westbrook. So this is from him. He says, there have also been talks about Washington Wizards star Russell Westbrook being a potential candidate to move back home to Los Angeles and a side and trade deal that could include free agent point guard Dennis Schroeder, forward Kyle Kuzma, and guard Talon Horton Tucker. That seems like a lopsided trade to me. I think for the Wizards, that would kind of be foolish. You get Taylor Horton Tucker, who's kind of a young asset. Cal Kuzma is better than some people give him credit for. I will say, though, I think his growth got stunted after like a sophomore season. Once he had LeBron and AD come in and he was just reserved to that bench role, I think it hindered him. So I don't know if he's ever going to be a star. Plus, he was kind of already old getting out of college. But he can be, you know, a decent, like, borderline starter for you I think Taylor Horton Tucker as well uh, he does have room also Schroeder you know he's just that trusty point guard for you I don't know if that package makes sense in a side and trade though I think that Russell Westbrook clearly is superior he's dropping triple doubles all the time and the way I had it in my mock draft I have the Wizards getting Moses Moody that's a very hard sell uh, I don't even know if Moody would fall that far but if they can get some sort of splash to make a big three, it would clearly be better than this because I'm not looking at that package of three guys and thinking that's a pretty fair deal. And that's kind of how side and trades end up going. But maybe the Wizards want to turn the page. And if Westbrook goes to the Lakers, you got to be excited for the man. He gets to join LeBron and AD. We want Russell Westbrook to get a win ring. I don't care what team it's on for the most part, obviously. Like, it was weird when he was on the Rockets. Like, did I want him to win the ring? Yes. Did I want him to win the ring with the Rockets of all teams? Absolutely not. I wouldn't want him to win with Brooklyn because, you know, KD. I'm not sure. That reunion would be very, very awkward. 
So I guess the Lakers would be fine. I mean, that would be one of the most excited, exciting trios of the league, maybe since the Three Musketeers when you had it with the Miami Heat. So I'd be all for it and make it very, very exciting to watch the Lakers play. And yeah, I just want to see success for Russell Westbrook. That's kind of in the infancy stages, though, when it comes to rumors. Moving on, though, I want to talk about this big board. And I was up very late concocting this thing. And this isn't really based on like science. There's kind of two different ways you can do these big boards. And truthfully, I'm kind of wavering between the two on this. So you just got to bear with me. A lot of the big boards are people eyeing who's going to be the best in five years. And those are the good ones. Those are where you see all the hot takes. And I respect those ones because there's not, there's a lot of risk involved. The other one though is where you incorporate ceiling and oh he may not pan out this guy is safe and they just they're not confident in players but they still want to rank them in the top 10 those are the ones where it's like okay dude you're not making any risks here regardless of what happens you're gonna say oh i had him 10 on my board and now he's the best in the class that's pretty close like eh, i don't know so there's one where you get a lot of hot takes where you look future and then there's the ones where you look at who you'd want to draft one by one, and here's the reasons why. And I don't know if I'm going to do a specific one to the Thunder. I feel like that one might be better suited uh, for later on in the week. But this is just kind of the comprehensive one where I'm talking about where I view them later on. But I also want to tap into that potential with some of these guys. So I had 30, and it was a nightmare because... I had probably 40 guys and I kept bumping them off the list. It's very frustrating because I do think there's a lot of gems in here, but I don't know if I'd want to put them over a lot of these first rounders. So I have three extra players who just missed the cut and I'm going to go from 33 to 25. And the hope is over the next, however many days, I guess five more after this, I'll be talking about five new prospects and then we'll have two more days to just discuss the draft before we got the big day and i want to talk about ayo desumu first this is a guy i have ranked 33rd and he just is barely outside and this is a person who has been in contact with the thunder as reported by nick crane i know he works for sports illustrated for the thunder he talked with ayo and apparently there was another workout scheduled for him so i think that's his second one there's clear interest between the two and I guess he kind of makes sense. Like he's a six foot five combo guard who is very solid defensively. As a passer, he's also solid. I'm not gonna say he's elite at either of those two areas. He's decent at speed. Like he's just he's all around average, I'd say. And the one kind of factor that does knock him down, at least in my eyes, is the shooting. And he shot fair, uh, fair from three. I mean, he shot 39% with Illinois last season. Problem is though. His release is so low, like you're talking almost second grade chest shot, like where you got both your hands gripping the ball, push shots, like he's got to rise that, he's got to fix the mechanics. If he can get that jumper good, uh, I think that he would be an effective player kind of as a bench uh, rotation piece. I don't know about starter, but I do think he's a decent project. The comparison that I'm looking at is DeLon Wright. I kind of see that where he's 
just on the bench and he's kind of that quality bench player but he's never going to be the one who is destroying you in a game like he's not going to be up and down the court dropping 20 in 10 minutes he'll just casually over the course of a game rack up a decent stat line whether it's like five points five rebounds five assists nothing too glamorous all the time but he's able to get the job done and give you a serviceable kind of bench role so I think you could see him go in the late first round I have him outside of here because I think the floor and the ceiling are kind of in the same category where I think the floor is he's just it's sturdy backup guy. I don't know if he cracks many rotational minutes. And then that upper crust is where he's hanging on with some rotational minutes, just not averaging like 25 or 30 or whatnot. So I guess he makes sense for the Thunder. You do need that shot though, of course, but he fits that mold of like the 6'5 hybrids. And he gives you that fourth option with uh, SGA, Teo, Ty, and now Ayo Desumu. But moving on to number 32, I had to put Vrenz Blindberg here. And he's not even mocked in like top 60s. He is nowhere to be found. And Vrenz has been very clear. He's been working out with these first rounders. And I think someone is going to look at him. Not even, doesn't even have to be the Thunder. They're going to look at Vrenz and look at Pogusevsky. And I think in a redraft, if you're going based on stat lines, I don't know if Poku is cracking the top 15 or whatnot, but based off potential and what we've seen, I think someone would take that swing on Poku as opposed to some of the earlier guys that we saw selected. So maybe like that fringe, like mid first, I don't know. I think Vrenz kind of gets that though because he's six foot 11. He's kind of that point guard, but he can also play as high as the three really. He's just a very large perimeter threat, and he brings you playmaking, very good at jump passing, very good at cross-court passing. This is the same stuff that Pogosevsky was praised about whenever we drafted him originally, and yeah, I think that translates for him. Shot 37.5% from downtown, shooting almost five shots a game from there. He was just lurking. The shot is pretty high up, so I think mechanically it's sound. And he's been getting the results. He's playing in like a second tier league, I believe. So it's not the craziest competition, of course. But that's where Pogosevsky started. And he's all right. Big thing with Vrenz that I do not have clarity about. Maybe he's discussed it. I don't know if he's really a Eurostash or not. Because he's come over from Belgium. He's been talking with these teams. He's been working out. Looks like he's good to go. But when I was checking him out, I believe I saw somewhere that he is still locked on to Antwerp International for next year and maybe there's a buyout maybe he has an opt-out clause but that could be an interesting kicker like you draft him and then he's just not there you get to see him develop one more he's going to come over as a 22 year old and when Poku was drafted he was 18 friends is 21 so there's that three-year gap and does that stunt the ceiling personally I don't think so because he just hasn't played in the U.S been playing pretty uh pretty well though overseas so I think someone takes a swing on him and he's not even gonna be on the you know ESPN when they have the bottom of the screen the top 10 players available he's not even gonna be on there when he gets drafted I think he just comes out of nowhere pretty early I think if the Thunder are at 34 36 they'll take him um if he's available of course but yeah he could be a sleeper I have him at 32 though because he's definitely someone that you're going to have to play in the G League at some stint and also 
he depends a lot on situation. If he's playing for a playoff team from the get-go, I don't think it's going to work out. If he plays for the Thunder, that might be more helpful. We got a lot of rotational pieces, though, and they're all extremely young. I want to see that Poku, Vit, and Vrenz combination, though, for sure. Put them all in a blue jersey. Put Poku down for a game. I don't care. That would be amazing basketball to be watching. Next up, though, I got Charles Bassey out of Western Kentucky, and I had him in my first round for a decent bit of time. I think he's that kind of surprise center that's able to emerge. Got some other high risers as well, but Bassey, he's kind of been stuck in the 40s for a while. He's starting to climb up. I am at 31. I think he could move up a little bit though, um, but yeah, I kind of like him. Uh, anyways, maybe not the safest of picks, but the trajectory with him, I think, is fairly solid. So he's 20 years old, played three years with Western Kentucky, which is kind of surprising that he's only 20 right now. But he's six foot nine and he's 230 pounds. The big thing with Charles Bassey is he is able to stretch the floor out at the five, and this is a key part of just the game in general. You need to be able to stretch the basketball court in a in you know in order to be effective. Especially if you're not, you know, the 7-3 monster Goliath guy who's all back to the basket. You need to stretch things out. And I think under certain systems, he'd flourish. I think the Pelicans would eye him at 35, personally. I think he fits the bill with what they need with Zion Williamson. But last season, he averaged almost 18 points a game. Had 11.6 rebounds. 3.3 of those were on the offensive side, by the way. And he had 3.1 blocks. Now... From downtown, he shot 30%, and he shot just a little over two attempts a game. So the sample is like a little bit up and down, of course. I think he's able to get it. It's not like he has the most fluid motion, like off the ball. You're not going to see him shoot it. I mean, he occasionally does it, but it's more of a set shot. I trust in it, though. I think on a pick and pop, people will refuse to guard him. He'll make you pay. And when he's inside, he surprisingly has a very solid touch around the basket. So I think on the offensive end, he's going to be a pretty sound player. He's going to be able to be off the bench for you. But also that rebounding, you cannot kind of downplay that at all. He was able to get the boards. And I know Western Kentucky, it's not like they're at the highest level of NCAA competition, of course. But he's able to scrap for rebounds. And one thing with him that I have read is sometimes the energy simply is not there with him, but I think he's able to turn around. I think those motor issues might have even been with a guy like Robinson, you know, when he elected to like not play college, he like just straight up quit. Maybe he was for Western Kentucky as well, honestly, but there was something like him with him and he's turned out just fine. I think Charles Bassey, that's not a major issue with him. So he's kind of that stretch five who, I think carves out a solid role off the bench for whoever ends up picking him. So next up, I'm getting into the top 30. And like I said, it's kind of just this like tier list. I could have done that, but you know, these aren't like this guy for sure is going to be over him. It's just, this is kind of where I see him at least right now. I might make a new big board and update it as we get through the week. Cause I will be looking at a lot more stuff, but at 30, I got Philip Petrusev out of the Adriatic League, and he used to play for Gonzaga, played two years with the Bulldogs, and then moved over uh, as COVID went on. He wanted to play some basketball, so he moved back to Serbia. That's their primary league, and I think he grew up in Belgrade, so 
went back to his hometown to play. And this is the same league that Nikola Jokic came out of. Now, I'm not giving them parallels by any stretch of the imagination, but Petrusev, he's very good. Petrusev won the MVP in this league, and so did Nikola Jokic. And he did it averaging damn near 25 points per game. I think the rebounds were around 7 or 8. I don't have it pulled up, but that's that's about where it was. And those are really high numbers. Obviously, it's not like the you know, CBA, where you need to be averaging 50 points to be in consideration, you're not going to be having those high output numbers in that league. So it does mean something to him. And the thing with Petrusev is he started out with the Bulldogs and he was kind of a back-to-basket post player and he had a very solid post mid-range game. And then you had Drew Timmy come out of the woodworks and he kind of lost his job to Timmy. And that's kind of why he wanted to leave and yeah I mean it obviously worked out for him but in his sophomore year with Gonzaga he was averaging almost like 18 a game he just didn't have that three-point shot down but the mid mid range was beautiful he was a solid rebounder and then that was about it so I guess people just didn't have him ranked high enough he was still kind of on some boards but he made the jump to Serbia and he has been dominant and on the same exact Serbian team with him there is a another draft and stash player on this exact same roster and he got selected by the bulls in the middle of the second round last year pick 44 marco Siminovic. he's not on the same level as philip here so i think that philip clearly was only top dogs so i think a value for him he's considered to be a second round prospect if he's in the mid second round you take him and the big reason why is because that mid-range that he was shown in the post, he's he's turned that around, and he's a genuine kind of three-point scorer as well now. So he shot over 40% from three last season, and he's turned into that kind of stretch five. Passing-wise, he is pretty crafty. Some of the passes he was making, he's got bounce passes he's doing in the half court, throwing it down low. He's got seeds there, and... He's 21, so it's not like he's this 18 or 19-year-old with a lot of kind of intrigue about him, but he still kind of has that just because of the kind of newfound jumper. He's found like he had it before, just not at all three levels. Now he has it, so I think you'd want to pick him up. I also don't know about the contract status with him, so he might need to stay over for another year or two, but it's a worthwhile investment if you're you know, in that second round. I have him at 30, though, because I do think his skill set as a stretch five will be able to translate. At 29, I have Jared Butler out of Baylor, and I could see him as like number 16. I think based on just safe, you know, what these safe picks are, he'd be a lot higher than 29. I think there's those boomer bust people who I have ranked lower, obviously, but I got to put them ahead of Butler. I think his floor and his ceiling also are kind of similar to Desumu, where He's just that like bench presence, but he's very good. And I, that's why I have him above us, uh, AO, by the way. But yeah, he was a three level scorer with the Baylor Bears. And he had to do this all the while while playing with Davion Mitchell. And Davion Mitchell will need the basketball a ton. Butler, he was able to play, you know, kind of behind the shadows for some time. So then he just break out out of nowhere. And he'd be pulling up, be doing dribble handoffs. He can play on or off the basketball and he kind of has that three level scoring potential that everybody 
loves and he's 20 so you know he's relatively young and he's six foot three so he's going to be playing point guard did play shooting guard at some times though with baylor he's just going to be able to go out there and get you some buckets but he's also sound as a passer as well and when he was playing average 17 a game five assists and from distance he was shooting 41.6 percent so i think the three works out for him the main deal though is can he be a primary ball handler and if that's the case you're good it's not like these other people where the major magnifying glasses on the shot the shot is beautiful he's going to be able to hit and i think he's going to be a role player who will be efficient regardless but he wants to break that seal and turn into one of those pivotal bench pieces or potentially like a six man he's going to need to have the play making down and this might be a riser like as i'm saying this i'm thinking i might just might as well move him up higher on this board maybe that'll be for the you know final board i make but jared butler he's going to be able to contribute for you in a bench role and he will be getting some buckets a little bit everywhere um on the basketball court after butler though at 28 i got zaire williams out of stanford and this is one that might offend some people because zaire williams is one of the higher ceiling players remaining and this is why you have those projections of who you see in five years or let's be nice to everybody and we're gonna go based off ceiling and this and that right and i think zaire williams he could pan out and this could look absurd um i think that this could be kind of criminal to him anyways but i don't know man like i was looking at zaire williams clips obviously he's athletic he's a very good ball handler but i'm really concerned on the shot because he was abysmal at stanford if he doesn't get that shot down i'm a little confused on how his entry to the interior is gonna work out and maybe like a darius Baisley could be that comp because Baisley hasn't really shot well but he's still been able to sneak in sometimes but i don't know like he's a six foot nine really lanky wing so maybe he could get abused inside the big thing is though like he's got to be able to put the whole package together if he can shoot from all three levels he's good that ball handling will be so much better and his ease of entry will be expanded tenfold because he is a very decent finisher on the rim he can fly up there just with stanford though like the splits were not glorious at all when he was taking some shots i mean they just weren't falling like he shot 29 percent from three this season he shot 80 percent from the foul line which actually is a pretty solid indicator uh and then he had mid-range shots too where he was looking good but it was just so up and down there was no sort of consistency with him and that could be a potential problem so i could see him being kind of that energy player off of the bench he is one of those players though where i think if you rank solely off of potential zaire williams is clearly a lottery pick and i think from a thunder point of view even though i have him ranked so low right here if he's available at 18 i would love to take zaire williams and i'd love to see where he goes it's just like i said with rents it's based on situation whether or not he's able to blossom or not because he could be like the next kevin knox where he was also seen as this potential filled slasher who might be able to shoot he wasn't able to do that and now you know knox has pretty clearly been on the trade market they're not playing him minutes he's kind of just stuck as this player sort of untapped like he hasn't gotten the time and nourishment 
He's going to need that nourishment. He will need that time. The Thunder can provide that. I don't know what other teams would be able to do so. The lottery teams would love to have him, though. I think if he's on a lottery team, I think this little floor of pick 28 may not be uh, may not be that. But, yeah, he was just so up and down. He's just going to be like, you know, one of those guys who's hot and cold one game. And then, you know, you're going to be pulling your hair out watching him sometimes. But that's just kind of how it is with Zaire. So, yeah, if you're going off of strictly potential... This is a person you love to see on the roster. If you're going off of, we're trying to win now, I'd probably stay away from Zaire Williams because he still is very raw, even though he does kind of have the markings a little bit everywhere. Next up, though, I want to talk about Jalen Johnson out of Duke. And this is a person who is seen to be a lottery prospect. And this is a person who at 16 or 18 I wouldn't mind the selection. Like, I'd understand it, especially if we go with a guy like Book Knight, because you will need a small forward. That's a big deal. You also need a center. So I guess it makes sense to go after a Jalen Johnson because he does have potential. And if you look at some of the, you know, clips from high school or even at college, he's looked like a beast. Problem is, though, he's not been able to put that together game in and game out. Kind of that same struggle as Zaire Williams, where inconsistency has kind of gotten the best of him. And another thing that has gotten the best of him is he's just not playing. Whenever he was playing in high school, he opted out early. And also with Duke, he only played 13 games before he put the sneakers up and said, I'm training for the NBA draft. And I don't know exactly what the wording was. I know he's been questioned about it before. And he's kind of been vague about things, which is totally fine. But He's kind of just brushed it off. And in his 13 games with Duke, he averaged 11.2 points, 6.1 rebounds, 2.2 assists, and 1.2 steals and blocks a game. And he shot 44% from three. So the numbers look good, but you don't have that gigantic stretch. The thing with Jalen Johnson is he is a, you know, he's good at everything. Not really a master of of anything right now though so he has that really raw mold and he's 19 so he also can fly up Zaire is also 19 by the way but I don't know I mean he's kind of that point forward that's where he is right now he's a six foot eight or six yeah six foot eight point forward who is still sort of not polished and in transition he can fly but He's not extremely quick with the basketball in his hands. When it comes to surveying the floor, yeah, he will be able to hit you on some passes, but the three-level scoring is not 100% there with him right now, and he needs to do that for himself. You know, he doesn't have that electric speed, so it does hinder him when it comes to how he wants to utilize the penetration, but he has the body of a very talented small forward in this league, and the skills that he has, specifically handling is very good you know in the limited film with him he does look amazing thing that I really uh you know dig deep into is how you play like what is your pace of the game and you know he's not like putting a ton of pressure on he's not pedal to the metal at any given moment like I don't see that crazy flash of speed so I think he'd come in and He's, he's just a hit or miss because the floor is he is so raw he just hangs around just like a Knox and that ceiling is you're looking at him as a starter 
on your team and I've looked at highlights and people are saying that he's the best player in this draft class I understand the mindset that's why I think the Thunder you know if they took him based on potential it'd be cool with me because a lot of the guys ahead of uh, Johnson actually they're too old to even be in the Thunder's draft board so Johnson would be high but you need to be you you know you need to be able to put him in that spot where he's able to get the reps that he needs and you let him go off because summer league will be a big indicator for him he might be one of those guys you look at and think how did this many people get drafted ahead of him he also could just be you know a wash so i'm kind of on that side right now where he's so raw it's kind of hard to see how he forms but i understand the other side of things when you look at jalen johnson last guy i want to talk about today is Jaden Springer out of Tennessee. He's the youngest person in this draft class at 18, turns 19 in December. So he's kind of like Pogosevsky from a year ago in terms of birthdays. This guy could be a high school uh, senior, or he could have just graduated and no one would have batted an eye. thing with Jaden Springer is that he is raw, but he has very good defensive abilities. When it comes to guarding either guard, point guard or shooting guard, he can lock you up. But also forwards in certain stints, he's able to provide for you. He's six foot three, so it's not like he's six five where he's gonna be playing shooting guard all the time. But you could try to move him up there. And even as a passer, he's pretty good. Now, just like a lot of other point guards in this class, he needs to be able to develop that three-point shot, ingrain it in his system, and then I think you look at he might be able to be that Teo Maladon almost, where you can slip him into that starting unit sometimes and no one's really going to know. But I look at him as kind of that bench guy right now, that glue bench person who at times can move up into the starting rotation. So, you know, that's not even a slight. I think this is a very stacked draft class. Even the guys before him are very talented players. But the big deal does come from that three, specifically if he can create off the ball, or on the ball, excuse me, because if he can, then you look at him as, yeah, he can play point guard, he can command the show, but if not, then you look at him maybe strictly as a two guard, specifically if you want to play him in a starting unit, but he was expanding a lot from three, he shot 43.5% from distance, thing though was he didn't shoot a lot of threes this year, he did shoot 81% from the foul line, though, and he did take four of those a game. So that is something that you can definitely take away. But he's improving from there. The big thing, though, is when he was playing with the basketball in his hands, you know, sometimes, obviously, there can be some turnover issues. Uh, he's not the most explosive player when penetrating. And one of the issues that comes with that is he can kind of get caught up in the noise. He can panic, and he rushes into pull-up jumpers that are just ridiculous. He'll try to spin on you with spin jumpers, get rejected. Just a lot of clumsy shots, and that will need to be fixed. I think that with time, you'll kind of wrinkle out the um, the bad shot selection, but it was a main problem of Springer's last year. So he has higher ceiling than most. When you look at his play, though, yeah, at 18, uh, he does have a lot of skill. So honestly, I might refine this um, because there are a lot of people that I have higher that are like lottery players, but I don't really know uh, where I'd want to put them. So I think Springer could rise whenever I finalize this, but this is kind of where I have him right now. 
Thing is, he's going to need to be able to be at least a catch-and-shoot threat. If he's not a catch-and-shoot threat, that's when it gets very dangerous for him in terms of where you're going to play him. But as long as he can play off the basketball, you can get him on the catch-and-shoot threes, I don't think it's going to be any sort of issue because he's a competent playmaker and on defense, he's able to work um, you know, on either end right there. So that's what I think of Jaden Springer. That's going to do it. I got from 33 to 25 in this episode. Got 25 more names to riddle down until we are done with this series. And we're going to get into even more draft coverage. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. If there's any prospects that you are specifically intrigued by, make sure to tell me. And I will incorporate that into the next episode. Do a little bit of a more in-depth discussion on some of these guys. Because I know... You know, with all these different players, I do have to keep it kind of concise, but, you know, it's whatever. But hopefully, you guys did enjoy this draft board. So, I appreciate all of you for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.